Today we're talking about family. I love my family. And I hope you do too. I can hardly think about any one thing in the entire world that can at the same time cause so much joy, give us so much joy in our hearts and be such a hard thing that causes such deep sorrow and deep pain. Family is is like that. Perhaps the thing that is most like that. Some of us are close with our families. Some of us are surrounded, even geographically, by lots and lots of immediate family and extended family. Some of us are not surrounded by them. We're more distant. Some of them are distant in not just geographic location, but our relationships are distant. We all have different experiences with family, do we not? All of us. Perhaps the person sitting right next to you has a very different experience than you do. Many times, many times two people, even in the same marriage, come from much different families. But how many times have we heard the phrase, family comes first? Family comes first. How many times have we said it? Or something like, there's nothing more important than family. There's nothing more important than family. How could that be wrong? How could that be wrong? Well, it's in light of that question that we go to our text today. Mark 3, 31 through 35. This is God's word. Mark writes, And his mother and his brothers, Jesus's, his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. There are a number of implications from Jesus' teaching in this passage. And I want to take you through just a few of them. And the first is what I'm calling family and idolatry. Family and idolatry. One of my favorite contemporary Christian authors is a man by the name of Kevin DeYoung. And Kevin DeYoung once wrote, Family is often the last golden calf of respectable In other words, we can very easily turn our family into an idol by making it more important to us than God. When our family becomes more important to us than God, it has actually become an idol. Now, remember where we're at in our text. Let me back up just a little bit. Look with me, if you will. Might not even have to turn a page. But back up to chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Verses 20 and 21, it says, Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they, his family, they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And last week we looked at that and saw how Jesus' family had started being embarrassed by him, and he was inconveniencing them. His ministry was drawing so much attention. And so 
they were essentially starting to feel and perhaps even starting to say to Jesus, can't you keep your ministry away from our family? Right? We get it that you've got a calling and you've got a ministry, but this, this is our family and this is our home. Now, we come now to these verses, verses 33 through 35. Many people believe this is the same exact scene, the same exact scene as verses 20 and 21, because you see his, mother's, his mother and his brothers are calling to him outside and saying, you know, come to us, come on, leave everybody else. It's family time. Can't you keep your ministry out there? And, and this is our family in here. Now, you need to understand, first and foremost today, well, I shouldn't say foremost, first. Let's not say first and foremost, but first. We need to say that Jesus is not anti-family. Jesus is not, by any means, anti-family. So don't come away from this today thinking Jesus is, is not really pro-family. Now, Jesus, Jesus lived a perfect life of love. For others. And so Jesus would have loved his family better than any of us love ours. Jesus would have loved his family better than any of us love our families. In Jesus' dying moments on the cross, if you remember, he made provision for his mother to be taken care of. You remember that? The end of the book of John. He made provision for his mother. He cared deeply about her. His brothers ended up following him, even though initially they didn't believe in him. They ended up following him. Two of his brothers wrote books of the New Testament even. The, the, the scriptures say he was submissive to his parents as he was growing up. And then during his ministry, he even condemns the Pharisees at one point for failing to take care of their aging parents. They had invented this law called the Law of Korban, which essentially said, Mom and Dad, we can't take care of you because we're too busy doing the Lord's work. Right? And so Jesus condemned them for that and said it's an ungodly thing. So Jesus is not anti-family. Scripture itself is not anti-family. Just a couple of examples. In 1 Timothy 5, 4, we are told that we should make some return to our parents as they grow older. And so young people, kids even, understand the Bible says it's a godly thing to take care of your parents as they age, especially in their later years of life, because you're making a return to them. What does that mean? Well, it means our parents gave everything to us. Our, our parents gave us their very lives. They, they did everything for us when we were growing up, and when, when we continue to live and we're into adulthood, we should make some kind of return to our parents, and Scripture says that's pleasing in the sight of the Lord. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Talk about strong, right? You don't provide for your relatives and the members of your own household especially. You've denied the faith. You're worse than an unbeliever, Paul says. And so the Bible and Jesus, they are not anti-family in any way, in any sense of the word. But... But family can so easily become an idol. Family can so easily become an idol. The last golden calf of respectable people, Kevin DeYoung said. This is one of the sneakiest, most common idols in our day in a place like Columbia, Kentucky. Bible Belt America, right? Family can be one of those things that sneaks up on us and all of a sudden we we realize I've made this an idol. You may look at the world 
And you may thank God that you don't struggle with the idols that you see out there, right? You may look at the world and say, "Eh, the, the sinful world has all of these idols, sex, fame, power, good looks, material possessions, money, keep going, right? And you may genuinely thank the Lord, I don't struggle with those. I'm really glad I don't struggle with those. But any good thing can be turned into an idol if you make it an ultimate thing. Any good thing, as one preacher I used to listen to said, when you take a good thing and you make it a God thing, Essentially, it's taken the place of God in your mind and in your heart. It becomes an idol. Any good thing can be turned into an idol. Family is such a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's one of the very best things that the Lord has blessed us with on this earth in this life. But often the best things become the strongest idols. The best things, when we give them a place of prominence they were never intended to have, can become the strongest idols idols? Has family become more important to you than God? That's one of the questions we must ask ourselves from this text. This text, Jesus is teaching here, is confronting us with that question. Has family become more important to me than God? Now, how would something like that happen? If you're a Christian, how could family start becoming more important than God? Well, let's think through this for a second. Here's a few ways. Not the only ways. These are just a few. Family can become an idol when parents begin to live through their children. You've seen this before. You know what I'm talking about. Parents begin to live through their children. All of a sudden, you begin to care way too much about your kids' performance. Perhaps in in school, in grades, in performing arts, what have you. We care so much about it that we start to get angry when they don't do well. We start caring more about their performance than we care about them. Parents begin to live vicariously through their children. Or how about this? When your happiness hinges on the family being being happy with one another. And anytime anytime family's not happy with one another, I'm devastated. Perhaps family has become an idol. Or how about when we find that we are compromising our biblical convictions to keep the balance in family relationships. We we want the balance in family relationships to be be there so badly, we're we're, we're actually uh, compromising our biblical convictions. This happens when, when a spouse loves their husband or loves their wife more than they love Jesus. Or it even happens when children begin to feel like pleasing their parents and making them proud is everything. Absolutely everything. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Brothers and sisters, we have to love Jesus more than we love our mom or our dad. We have to love Jesus more than we love our kids. Now that's, that's hard for some of us who really love those people. We really love those people. Jesus has to be number one. And everyone else comes second. Jesus has to be number one. If you make your family an idol, if you make them more important than Jesus, you will hurt them 
you will hurt them and you'll destroy yourself. We were made to worship something. We were made that way. God made you in such a way, if you're a human being, you were made to worship something and you are always worshiping something. Even atheists are worshiping something. Everyone in this world is worshiping. The only question is, what are they worshiping? There is always something that sits on the throne of our hearts. There is always something that has our strongest and most ultimate affections, is our greatest treasure, so to speak. And whatever that thing is, that is what you worship. Whatever it is, that is what you worship. And if it's family, you will actually harm them. You will harm those you are seeking to love. The parent who loves their kids too much could either on the one hand be possessive and keep their kids too close to them for too long to live vicariously through them and and create standards that are unattainable or parents love their kids too much and they're too permissive and they want to be the cool parents and they want their kids to love them so much they can't say no, right? You'll hurt them if you turn them into an idol, or if you love your spouse too much, if you love your spouse too much and you begin to say, my spouse is the most important thing in my life and my happiness depends on them. My self-worth depends on them. Without them, I would die. Well, what happens is they become your functional savior. They become your functional savior. And you're asking them to give you what only Jesus can give. What happens when they can't live up to that? You see, when we make idols out of our family, we actually hurt them. We hurt those that we are trying to love. As he usually does, C.S. Lewis provides some wonderful insight on this topic to us. In his letters, in one of his letters, he wrote, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. And then he says, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. What's he saying? When the Lord has his proper place in your heart, everything else gets ordered rightly. Everything else gets treated as it should. And thus, you can enjoy it as you should. And other people, other people in your life will be loved by you as they should be. But if you lift them up above the Lord, you will hurt them. You will destroy them and you will destroy yourself. And so the idol of family. But there's another implication from Jesus' teaching here that comes kind of right off what we were just talking about. And I'm calling it family and identity. Family and identity. You see, for most of us, our family is a big part of our identity. It's a big part of who we are, right? There's nothing wrong with that either if it is kept in its proper place. Family is a big part of who we are, the family we come from, the family we have. The problem is we tend to give it a place of prominence it was never intended to have. And so Jesus is teaching here, one of the things he's saying is, you have a more fundamental identity than your earthly family. If you're a Christian today. If you're a Christian today, you have a more fundamental identity than your earthly family. 
You are a Christian before you are anything else. You are a Christian before you are a mother. You're a Christian before you are a father, before you are a child, before you are a member of that family. You're a Christian. And that is more foundational to who you are, God says, than anything else, including your family. Many of us find our primary identity in our family. Some find it as a parent. My primary identity is that I'm a mother. It's my primary identity. You might not say that out loud, but when you look at your actions and your thoughts and your heart and your desires, that's, that's, that's what you feel. It's who you are. Some find it as the head of the family, the head of the big, happy family. My primary identity is that I'm the head of the family. Or some find it as a wife or a husband or even a child. But here's the thing. If you find your main identity in anything other than Christ, you will only find disappointment. You will only find disappointment because the world and life will take those things away. And then you'll be devastated. You'll be devastated. Those things were never meant to give you true fulfillment. They were never meant to fill the void in your heart that only Jesus can fill. If your primary identity, for example, is a mother. I'm a mother, that's my primary identity. Well, when your kids mess up their lives or when they get upset with you and distance themselves from you, you'll be crushed. You'll be devastated. Or if your primary identity is a child trying to please your parents, then when you don't meet their standards, you'll be crushed. I had a friend in college who was just like this, and we felt so bad for him. He was from the Middle East. And often there were were people at where we went to school from the Middle East or from Asia who were there to become doctors because their parents wanted them to become doctors. And if they couldn't become a doctor, they had failed. And, And this guy was a good friend of ours. He was a wonderful man. He just could not pass the classes that it took to become a doctor. He could not pass the pre med classes. And he was devastated because it meant he was failing his mom and dad. It meant his mom and dad wasn't going to love him anymore because he couldn't become a doctor. Now, we've got all kinds of problems in our individualistic society where people don't care about their parents as much as they should. But you see, that that had become his identity. His identity was a child trying to please his parents. If your primary identity is the head of the big happy family, well, then when your family has problems, you won't be able to handle it. And you'll, you, won't be, you won't be able to deal with those problems. You'll just be saying, hey, hey, can't everybody get along? Can't you guys just get along? Because that's what you want most in life, instead of dealing with the actual issues. If your primary identity is found in your spouse, well, then when your marriage is going through a rough stretch, you'll be depressed. You'll be devastated. But if your primary identity is that you are a child of God, that you're a Christian before you're any of those other things, then when those relationships go wrong, you'll still be able to make it through. You'll still be able to find satisfaction in your heart. There is a wonderful freedom in this. A wonderful freedom in this. It is not that you stop caring about your family. That's not it at all. But parents, if your kids haven't turned out the way you wanted them to? If your adult children have disowned you or walked away from the Lord, your life is not over. 
Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. You understand that? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And at the end of the day, they must stand before the Lord themselves, and so must you. And God's gift of eternal life does not depend on your parenting success. It doesn't. If your marriage isn't perfect, or if you think back to a marriage that ended with all kinds of problems that you regret, Jesus says there will be no marriage in heaven. There is no marriage in heaven. Marriage is a temporary thing, not an eternal thing. Your spouse cannot be everything to you. You get everything you need from Jesus. And so you don't have to throw that pressure on them. And you don't have to throw that pressure on your marriage. If your parents aren't proud of you, that's okay. You have a father in heaven who loves you and cares for you unconditionally. And so there's, there's a wonderful freedom in this. Our identity, before we're anything else, is that we're a Christian. You might have been something else before you were a Christian, but once you become a Christian, God says that identity goes down so deep, it's more fundamental to who you are than anything else. That is who you are. Who you are to God and before God is more important and more fundamental than any other relationship or any other identity. Finally, final implication from Jesus' teaching here, family and eternity. Family and eternity. Jesus is transforming the way that we view family here in this teaching. He's transforming the way that we view family here. Because they come out and they say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, in a society like that especially, What you would have expected Jesus to say is, I'm sorry, folks, we need to call it a day now. I've got more pressing matters, more more important people need me than than you guys right here. And everybody who was there, because of the society that that they lived in, they would have been like, oh, yes, that totally understandable. We'll see you tomorrow because family's more important. We get that. Family comes first, right? It's not what Jesus does. And we're so thankful that he doesn't do that because it's an important lesson that we wouldn't have otherwise. He says, no, who are my mother and my brothers? It's, it's these people right here. It's whoever, he says, whoever, verse 35, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and my mother's. Jesus is transforming the way we view family. When you become a Christian, your deepest and most fundamental family is no longer your blood relatives. They're they're important. We are not saying they're not important. It's going to be very fundamental to who you are. We're not saying that either. But when you become a Christian, your deepest and most fundamental family is no longer your blood relatives. It's your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's those who find true fellowship in doing the will of God. In the world, we have this saying, blood is thicker than water, right? Blood is thicker than water. Our family bonds are stronger than just about anything. But in the church, water runs deeper than blood. Because when you get plunged under those waters of baptism, you join a family that becomes more lasting than the blood relatives that you have here on this earth. And you join a family 
that runs deeper than the, the relationship that those blood relatives have with you. When you come up out of those waters of baptism, you come up a new creation, and you have now been adopted into the family of God, and God himself calls you his child. 1 John 3, 1, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And the way John says it there, that's probably why I like the verse so much, the way he says it there is one of those I wouldn't believe this if it weren't in the Bible. I wouldn't believe this if it weren't true of us according to God's own words. It's almost too good to be true that we could be children of God and yet that is what we are. And so in the church, water goes deeper than blood. You have a family of believers that you will spend eternity with. And some of us, some of us have blood relatives that we will not spend eternity with. Understand, your spiritual family, your, your family that is united by the blood of Christ, lasts longer than your family that is united by your DNA. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will be with you for all eternity. Some of our blood relatives will not. This family is more fundamental. Now, for some, we've already talked about this, for some, this teaching right here from Jesus exposes our idols Right? For some, this exposes our idols. But for others, this news is almost too good to be true. You've got to understand, if, if you come from a, a family that loves you, that, that you love, that you're so thankful for, and you've always been secure in having a wonderful family, it's a wonderful gift from the Lord, and we're so glad to have that. But not everybody has that experience. And so for you, this teaching might strike you as, oh, that's confronting my idol, my temptation to make my family an idol. But for others, it's almost too good to be true. Because there are some people who read this and say, "You you mean I can be in the same family as Jesus? You mean I can call him an elder brother? You mean I have a true and eternal family full of people who love and care for me? Because you see, for some people, when they come to Christ, they are quite literally forsaking their families. Quite literally. If a a Muslim man or woman places their faith in Jesus and decides to follow him, almost every time their family disowns them and says, you are no son of mine anymore. You are no daughter of mine anymore. We are not family. Because that is what Islam calls for. They're an infidel. And they've decided to follow Jesus, quite literally having to forsake their family. Increasingly in our culture, Christians are seen as hateful and bigoted and dangerous. And so for some, for some, being a Christian and living the Christian life means your family will also disown you. Not because of a religious change like Muslim to Christian, but because you're living for Jesus now? You're living according to that Bible now? I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's the culture we live in, in modern-day America. Listen to Jesus' wonderful words from Mark 10, starting in verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time 
houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says there's none of you who have left anything, relationships specifically. He's heavy on the family relationships there and what he lists. There's none of you who have left anything that will not have it returned to you a hundredfold. Notice how he said with a side order of persecutions that comes too. Right? But, but it will not be returned to you a hundredfold, both in this time and in the age to come. And so for some, they're forsaking their family. For still others, for still others, they hear this and it's the greatest news in all the world because their family growing up wasn't what it should have been. It wasn't what it should have been. There are those of us who come from broken homes with parents who didn't love them like they should with parents who weren't trustworthy and didn't provide a safe place. Instead, it was dangerous. People who couldn't wait to leave their families, and rightfully so, some. Some of, some of, some of the people who come to Christ feel like they have no family. And so when they read things like Psalm 68, 6, which says, God sets the lonely in families, it's everything to them. And a church family is everything to them. God sets the lonely in families. And so for some of us, this exposes our idols. For others, this is some of the greatest news in all the world. But I want you to see as we end verse 35, where Jesus says, he sums it all up. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. It's whoever does the will of God. That's who is Jesus' family. Now, don't misunderstand this. This does not mean that you can earn your way into God's family by good works. That's not what it means. It does not mean that if you don't have the best track record of doing the will of God, well, you're just not as much Jesus' family as someone else who's been better than you lately. Now, those who do the will of God are those whose lives has been, have been transformed from the inside out. Our obedience to God's will is the fruit of a heart that has been changed. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it comes by faith in Christ. Faith. Faith is the key. Faith is what causes someone to be doing the will of God. Notice a very interesting small little conversation in John 6, 28 through 29. It says, then they said to him, to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And then Jesus answered them. What does he say? He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. The work of God, to be doing the works of God, is to believe with our hearts. That's who does the will of God, those who believe, those who have faith, those who trust in Christ. That's who's doing the will of God. And so, Jesus says, whoever does the will of God. This is an open invitation to all, brothers and sisters. It's an open invitation to all whom I can't call yet my brothers and sisters. It's an open invitation. The will of God is that you would believe in his son, Jesus. That you would open your heart to him. 
and that you would submit to his lordship, that you would repent of your sins and turn to him for forgiveness, and that you would enter into his family through the water of baptism that we mentioned earlier. It's the invitation that Jesus gives to anyone, whoever, whoever. It's an invitation to all. And it's open to every single one of us this morning. Right now, we're going to spend just a few moments in prayer, responding to the Lord, responding to what God's word has confronted us with, responding to what God has just laid on our hearts. After we spend just a few moments in silent prayer, it's a time for all of us to respond to God. There might be some who need to respond to God's word in a public way. And then we'll give a chance for those who need to do that to do so. Right now, let's pray.